the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend producing, Dave King engineering in Portland, Quan McCoy producing and engineering in Seattle. Today I'm looking forward to a conversation with Pastor Alvin Curry. He is the pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church and host of Let the Truth Set You Free. Uh, in uh, the Seattle area, and his program is heard on KGNW on Sunday mornings at about 7.30 a.m. We're going to talk about the joy, the peace, and worship of Christmas. So that's coming up uh, later in the second hour of today's program. We're also going to take a look at the story of Christmas, one planet, one star, one savior, waiting for Jesus, lessons from Simeon and Anna, and much, much more. But first, we'll take a look at some of the, well less glorious headlines. Should we put it that way? Well, President Joe Biden continues to lose ground to Donald Trump and is now trailing the former president 45 to 43 in a head-to-head matchup going into the final year of his first term in the White House. President Biden's favorability has dropped precipitously since the early summer, with nearly 60 percent of respondents now disapproving of his performance. That's according to a new poll. That's only a thousand registered voters conducted by WPA intelligence and obtained by National Review. And while the president led Trump by 15 points in terms of favorability in May, today the two candidates have nearly identical ratings. Republicans trail Democrats by two points on a generic ballot in May, but now lead by one point. Growing concerns over the president's age and vitality continue to plague the campaign. Nearly two-thirds, or 60 percent of respondents, don't believe Biden would be able to complete a second term in the White House if reelected. And the border, it may be the worst story of the year 2023. Douglas Andrews points out, try to imagine every single person in Alaska Now add someone, excuse me, everyone in Delaware and in Hawaii, everyone in Maine and in Montana. Now add New Hampshire, North Dakota, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Vermont, West Virginia and Wyoming. Add together every single person in each of these states. Now you have a sense of how many illegal immigrants um, our president, Joseph Robinette Biden, has allowed to come into the country by refusing to secure our southern border. We cease to be a country when we cease to control our border. And anyone who doubts that, that this um, change in America is a key component of Barack Obama's third term in office and that Democrats long held plan to for permanent political power hasn't been paying much attention. Well, this isn't the um, well, the most exciting story of the year. Let's face it. We're all sick of hearing about the border. Not a week goes by in the, uh, in this country today when we don't. Uh, Find some novel version of how someone has slipped into the country and how the the numbers are increasing and increasing. It's also an impeachable offense, and uh, it speaks to Republican myopia that they fixate on Biden's crime family influence peddling rather than having charged the president with his um, high crime long ago of not uh, failing to protect the border. Well, Customs and Border Protection says we recently saw a record 14,509 individuals enter the country in a single day. 
Tuesday. Uh, in addition, uh, Bill, Malo- um, I think his name is Malugin, he reports that we've already had more than 200,000 border encounters in December alone. That's the equivalent of a Birmingham, Alabama crossing our border in just 20 days. They're coming from everywhere, from Guyana, from Senegal, Liberia, Oman, Lebanon, Bangladesh, India, and everywhere. They're flying from Africa into Central America, then heading north as a uh, Uh, was uh, mentioned earlier this week, tell us again how it's not an invasion. But don't worry, a Colombian woman who was given her confirmed appointment with the Immigration and Customs Enforcement for, we kid you not, Thursday, January 23rd, 2031. 2031. Well, this is uh, called backdoor amnesty, and this is what apparently the president is looking for. It's deliberate, Newt Gingrich points out, stating the obvious before adding something less obvious, that uh, this is a new phase uh, to grant um, illegals the right to vote in the country in hopes of maintaining powers on one side of the ledger. The question is whether or not anyone in Washington or at the ballot will do anything about it. Well, the Washington Post recently ran an anti-homeschooling propaganda hit piece titled What Homeschooling Hides, a Boy Tortured and Starved by His Stepmom. And that singular story, of course, characterizes every homeschool home across the country. The article, which is part of a series the Post is running to smear homeschooling, notes the tragic story of a young 11-year-old boy whose repeated abuse by his stepmother eventually led to his death. Now, the obvious culprit and perpetrator of this crime is the boy's stepmother, and she's now in prison as a result. The boy's father was apparently not present as he is also doing time in prison, but the article doesn't make clear whether his incarceration is related to that crime against his son or something else. Well, the Post covers this heartbreaking story at at the outset, but then takes a rather twisted turn with the following loaded statement. Little research exists on the links between homeschooling and child abuse. What? It sure seems that the conclusion the Post wants to infer is that homeschooling is to be to blame for this boy's death. Well, the biggest reason behind the young boy's abuse and death had to do with his broken home life. But the Post avoids that glaring factor. It's inconvenient. Interestingly, after observing that uh, little research exists to link homeschooling and child abuse, the article then goes on to state, but the research also suggests that when abuse does occur in homeschool families, it can escalate into especially severe forms and that some parents exploit lax home education laws to avoid contact with social service agencies, end quote. Well, does the research exist or doesn't it? They seem to suggest both are the case. Uh, This game of sleight of hand journalism is playing to inject an entire unrelated study, study rather, from 2014 as evidence to support the Post's preconceived conclusion, the strong implication that homeschooling is more dangerous for children than public schooling. If it weren't so serious, it would be laughable. But it is serious and it's not laughable. The Post notes for the study that of more than two dozen children treated for torture from five different states, 17 victims. Victims were old enough to attend school. Eight were homeschooled. Once again, homeschooling is the Post's implied villain. Logically, one could uh, just as easily point out that more than half of the 17 victims uh, old enough to attend school went to public or private schools. So we can now blame public or private school for the abuse these children suffered. Well, absent of uh, other specific criteria, that statistic is as meaningless as suggesting that more victims were from states with colder climates than warmer climates. Correlation is not causation, no matter how hard the Post plays like it is. Don't be fooled. Read between the lines. Well, Mexican President uh, uh, or uh, Obrador, 
Obrador, excuse me, this week reignited his ongoing feud with Texas Governor Greg Abbott over the U.S. border security when he threatened to challenge the Lone Star State's new immigration law. The new legislation, signed by Abbott on Monday, allows law enforcement to arrest illegal immigrants who would then face the choice to leave the U.S. or be prosecuted on misdemeanor charges for illegal entry. Migrants who don't comply could face arrest again and more serious felony charges. Abbott said the bill aims to stop a tidal wave of illegal Legal immigration, but Lopez, the Mexican uh, governor, uh, president, reacted furiously to the new law. And according to Reuters, he said the foreign ministry is already working on a legal challenge to the law. He also accused Abbott of attempting to win political popularity with the move, but said it would backfire because there are lots of Mexicans in Texas, end quote. He's also taken aim at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who, unlike Abbott, is running for president in 2024. Well, the day after the Colorado Supreme Court disqualified former President Donald Trump from appearing on the state's ballot in 2024, California Lieutenant Governor Elena uh, Kunalakis is asking the Golden State Secretary of State to explore every legal option to do the same. She sent a letter to the Secretary of State dated Wednesday, December 20th, and referenced Colorado's recent ruling, which stated Trump was ineligible to appear on the state's ballot as a presidential candidate because of his role in inciting an insurrection on the U.S. Capitol on the 6th of January, 2021. This decision is about honoring the rule of law in our country and protecting the fundamental pillars of our democracy. Uh, Kunalakis, who launched a campaign to run for California governor in 2026, wrote... Well, specifically, the Colorado Supreme Court held in Anderson versus Griswold that Trump's insurrection disqualifies him under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to stand for presidential reelection. Because the candidate is ineligible, the court ruled it would be wrongful for Colorado's Secretary of State to list him as a candidate on the state presidential ballot. It's also unlawful to write him in. Well, the gubernatorial candidate told the secretary of state that California must stand on the right side of history and is obligated to determine if the former president is ineligible to be on the ballot for the same reasons he was deemed ineligible in Colorado. Kunalakis said Colorado's decision could be the basis for California's decision. That will very likely be decided ultimately by the U.S. Supreme Court. Most legal scholars I've um, read and listened to seem to suggest, even those who oppose Donald Trump, that it will be overturned. A lifelong El Paso resident said that the unprecedented amount of illegal immigration witnessed on the Texas border communities is leaving residents frustrated and disillusioned with the Biden administration. We'll tell you more about that in a moment, but do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to a second hour focused on Christmas, beginning with a conversation with Pastor Alvin L. Curry, pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church and host on KGNW in Seattle of Let the Truth Set You Free. Heard Sunday mornings at 7.30 a.m. Again, turning to the headlines, a lifelong El Paso resident said that the unprecedented amount of illegal immigration witnessed in Texas border communities is leaving residents frustrated and disillusioned with the Biden administration. This is definitely very different, and I think that it's the systematic failure of the immigration policies that we have had, and it's just unsustainable now. Judy Gutierrez, a former city council candidate on Wednesday, said, well, the besieged U.S. southern border saw a record number of migrant encounters in a single day on Monday as thousands flooded into Eagle Pass, Texas, amid a, bo- a broader surge in recent weeks that has left authorities overwhelmed. 
There were over 12,600 migrant encounters on Monday, Customs and Border Protection sources say. That does not include the thousands still waiting for processing in the Del Rio sector on Monday evening after a surge of migrants into Eagle Pass. The number includes over 11,000 illegal immigrants apprehensions and over 1,600 encounters at ports of entry. As of Tuesday morning, sources say that the agents are still processing and transporting more than 4,500 migrants at the busy crossing point, with more than 5,300 already in custody and facilities at 260 percent over capacity. Guterres said the city of El Paso has reached a breaking point trying to deal with the influx of migrants. She said the crisis will have a negative impact on President Biden heading into the 2024 election and says the administration needs to listen to the concerns of those who live along the U.S.-Mexico border. Additionally, Guterres said she believes residents of the traditionally blue border city are moving toward former President Trump for the 2024 election. A group of Michigan veterans are calling on a Democrat running for Congress to apologize for wearing part of a U.S. Army-issued uniform during a Veterans Day event, despite having never served in the military. A letter signed by 28 veterans and addressed to former Michigan State Senator Curtis Hurdle the likely Democrat nominee for the state's competitive 7th Congressional District, accusing him of giving the impression that he served in the military and committing an act of stolen valor by wearing the jacket. The letter specifically uh, focuses rather on Hurdle's attendance at a November 11th wreath-laying ceremony at the Michigan Veterans Memorial in Lansing when he wrote a now-retired U.S. Army-issued war, rather, a now-retired U.S. Army-issued physical fitness jacket while speaking at the event despite not being listed on its programming. We, the undersigned veterans of U.S. military service, write to you today to express our deep concern over your conscious decision to wear an official U.S. Army-issued uniform while speaking at a Veterans Day event last month in Lansing, despite not having served in the Army or any other branch of the U.S. military, the letter said. We respectfully request that you publicly apologize to all American veterans in Michigan and elsewhere and pledge not to repeat the offense, it read. As you must be aware, wearing official military issue attire, especially at a ceremony honoring those who have served, leaves a clear and unmistakable impression that you personally served in uniform. As a public servant who has frequently professed to support veterans and veterans' issues, you must also know that this brand of stolen valor is frowned upon, it added. Well, the letter stated that Hurdle uh, never clarified to those in attendance that he never actually served in the military and noted that although the jacket is a retired uniform and no longer in use by the Army, it is intrinsically linked to the global war on terror era of military service and is a period Hurdle was eligible to serve based on his age, but did not. In other news, Senators Ted Cruz, the Republican out of Texas, and Chris Coons, the Democrat out of Delaware, will introduce a resolution this morning condemning attacks by Iranian military proxies on U.S. military service members in Iraq and Syria. The Iranian regime is attacking Americans, our allies, and our interests across the Middle East. Rather, They are not only launching attacks and massacres against our Israeli and Arab allies, But their Houthi proxies are now trying to shut down freedom of navigation that is vital to the American and global economies, Cruz said in a statement. It is clear that they are not deterred and uh, it is long past time for the Biden administration to take all necessary steps to deter and counter these activities. 
enough is enough, end quote. Coons said Iranian support for the attacks rightfully earned a swift and forceful response from the Biden administration, and he called on the administration to increase pressure on Iran to cease its support for violent militia groups and support efforts to deter Iranian-backed militia attacks on U.S. troops and the international community, end quote. The Senate resolution received bipartisan support from co-sponsors, on both uh, parties, there has been an uptick in Iranian proxies targeting American troops in Syria and Iraq since October 7th, Hamas terrorist attack on Israel, with Iran often providing financial and training to militia groups in that region. Former President Donald Trump leads by 34 points in a new Fox business survey, and Iowa Republicans, as likely caucus goers, say they want a candidate who is strong leader, has stamina, and can win against President Joe Biden. Here are the results. 52% of likely GOP caucus goers support Trump, putting him over 50% for the first time. Next, it's Ron DeSantis at 18% and Nikki Haley at 16%. Vivek Ramaswamy received 7% and Chris Christie gets 3%. Now, of course, the caucus has not yet been held. Ryan Binkley and Asa Hutchinson received less than 1% each. Compared to September, support for Trump is up by 6 points. DeSantis is up 3 points and Haley up 5 while both Ramaswamy and Christie held steady. Several candidates suspended their campaigns since then, including Tim Scott and Mike Pence. There's still a chance for more movement in the race, with nearly one-third of Iowa Republicans saying they may change their minds. To be clear, however, far more Haley at 43% and DeSantis backers, 39%, are uncertain about their choice than Trump supporters at 16%. Fully 83% of those backing Trump say their minds are made up. In addition, two-thirds of Iowa GOP caucus goers would be satisfied if Trump at 65 percent were the party's nominee, while just under half say the same if DeSantis at 48 percent or Haley at 45 percent were at the top of the ticket. A House of Representatives committee has expanded its inquiry against Harvard University's handling of anti-Semitism on campus to include an embattled president, Claudine Gay, who is uh, facing a myriad of plagiarism allegations The chair of the Committee on Education and the Workforce, Representative Virginia Fox, on Wednesday sent a four-page letter to Penny Pritzker, the head of the school's governing board, alleging that Harvard applies a different standard of academic integrity to faculty members than to students. The committee cited the university's honor code as justification for the probe. The Harvard College Honor Code, which is in effect for the academic community at Harvard uh, College, beginning in the fall of 2015, provides... Members of Harvard College community commit themselves to producing academic work of integrity. Does Harvard hold its faculty and academic leadership to the same standard, she asked. The Republican representative highlighted the Ivy League University's use of federal funding, saying that the funds are contingent on Harvard maintaining compliance with its accreditor, the New England Commission of Higher Education. Left-leaning journalists and media outlets expressed their support for the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to remove former President Trump from the 2024 primary ballot, condemning those who might oppose the move. Though many of these talking heads, including the Lincoln Project's Rick Wilson, anti-Trump commentator George Conway and The New York Times' Mara Gay, 
have spent years claiming that Trump's actions are a threat to democracy. They reiterated their support for the Colorado State Supreme Court removing Trump. The court made the controversial decision on Tuesday night, invoking the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment to declare that Trump is ineligible for the White House and removing him from the state's presidential ballot primary ballot. The decision marks the first time in history that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has been used to disqualify a presidential candidate, setting up a likely showdown in the U.S. Supreme Court. Despite a multitude of prominent conservative figures calling the decision election interference, prominent mainstream media figures and progressive leaders applauded it, insisting that the top contender for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination deserves to be taken out of the running. Danny Karen. An attorney and law professor doesn't think liberal uh, pundits should be so eager to spike the football. The U.S. Supreme Court has the authority to review decisions from state Supreme Courts. So not only are Trump's lawyers already petitioning the Supreme Court to review the Colorado decision, but the Supreme Court is certain to accept the review. And when it does, the court, fueled by its six-judge conservative majority that Trump helped assemble, is certain to reverse the Colorado decision, likely on the basis that the 14th Amendment does not apply to the president. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll continue our walk through some of the day's headlines and look forward to a second hour a conversation with Pastor Alvin Curry from Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church and host of Truths Will Set You Free. Uh, Let the Truth Set You Free, rather. Heard Sunday mornings, 7.30 a.m. on KGNW on our sister station in Seattle. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, young Americans are moving more than older generations, and they're choosing states like Texas and West Virginia to establish their own households. A December study published by Hire a Helper analyzed Census Bureau data to determine where the Gen Z U.S. adults moved in 2023 and why. Well, the study found that Gen Z, which comprises adults between the ages of 18 and 26, is the most mobile generation with 17 percent of its members opting to move this year compared to 8 percent across all ages. Texas welcomed the most Gen Z adults overall with 345,000 new residents. However, West Virginia saw the highest net gain in Gen Z moves with 138 percent year over year. Four other states, Utah, South Carolina, Colorado, and Kansas, had at least twice as many Gen Z adults moving in than moving out. Vermont, Alabama, Mississippi saw the largest exodus of young adults with 73 percent, 68 percent, and 64 percent, respectively, um, net Gen Z moving. Uh, When asked uh, why they wanted to move, Gen Z said the number one reason was to establish their own households. Other reasons for moving included wanting a, a new and better home, a new job opportunity or transfer, cheaper housing and a relationship with an unmarried partner. Despite reports of increased home buying activity, Gen Z has the lowest share of moves associated with becoming a homeowner, less than 5 percent compared to other generations. Well, teachers and celebrities alike are turning to OnlyFans for an eye-popping sum of money that can uh, can be made with many professionals ditching or losing their day jobs after employers find out what their uh, side hustle is. Now, if you don't know what OnlyFans is, I wouldn't even encourage you to look it up. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. It maintains one's innocence. But the platform in t- which... Uh, Customers pay for access to exclusive content that is sexual in nature uh, that they won't find on other social media platforms has been a point of contention in the American cultural zeitgeist, with many labeling it degrading or taboo, while proponents argue that it's a way for individuals to monetize online content. 
Apparently, at any cost, they're willing to do anything. Well, OnlyFans skyrocketed in popularity during the COVID-19 pandemic. Many teachers in particular have turned to the platform to supplement their income. Most recently, two teachers from the same high school in Missouri. They were placed on leave after the district administrators found out that they were operating personal accounts there. The issue raised questions about personal freedoms and employment consequences, as well as the legal uncertainties surrounding termination based on involvement in the adult entertainment industry. Lord, help us. Well, the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to bar Donald Trump from the state's ballot will help the former president in his quest to win the Republican nomination next year. That's what political insiders are observing in both parties. Some Democrats fear it could boost him next November, too. Republican elected uh, officials raced to rally around Trump in the hours after the ruling uh, was released on Tuesday, even those not backing him for president in 2024. Uh, Senator Tom Tillis, who has not endorsed Trump, wrote a bill aimed at preventing states from blocking presidential candidates from their ballots. Reporter Zan Hassan said Democrats two months ago will lift sanctions on Venezuela, but only if Maduro stops disqualifying his presidential opponents. Dems today, we just disqualified Trump as a presidential candidate. Hmm. Justin Amash, he uh, reports that this isn't accountability. It's an assault on due process of law. It undermines our electoral system and threatens every federal candidate for office. Robert George says, as someone who opposes and has always opposed Donald Trump, I understand the temptation to cut to short circus rather to short circuit the Democratic process in order to prevent his election. But it's a mistake, a bad and dangerous precedent. Well, following the Colorado Supreme Court ruling barring uh, Trump from the centennial state's ballot, it was only a matter of time before other states um, used the dubious ruling as the basis for attempting to prevent residents from being able to vote in their states. Uh, The day after uh, Colorado's ruling, we mentioned already uh, California's Democratic lieutenant governor sent a letter to the secretary of state, but that uh, is not the only one. There are other states who are considering doing the same and some states who have already been forbidden from doing the same by their courts earlier. Harvard University on Tuesday received a complaint outlining over 40 allegations of plagiarism against an embattled president, Claudine Gay. The document paints a picture of a pattern of misconduct more extensive than has been previously reported and puts the Harvard Corporation, the university's governing body, which said it initiated an independent review of Gay's scholarship and issued a statement of support for her leadership back in the spotlight. The full list of examples spans seven of her publications, two more than previously reported, which uh, comprise almost half of her scholarly output. Though the Harvard Corporation said earlier this month that it initiated an independent review of her work in October and found no violation of Harvard's standards for research misconduct, that probe focused on just three papers. There are apparently seven works. On Monday, the Boston Globe editorial board called on the university to be clear on whether Gay committed plagiarism. The editorial board said the corporation's statement on Gay's academic work was contradictory and noted that Harvard's own website lists a definition of plagiarism at Harvard that is unforgiving of honest mistakes and applies to everyone. But it stopped short of calling for Gay's ouster. Over 12,500 people were encountered Monday at the southern border, the highest number of encounters on record for a single day, U.S. Customs and Border Protection say. December migrant numbers at the southern border are on track to exceed the number seen in November by 30 percent. In the first 17 days of November, the Border Patrol encountered roughly 130,000 migrants. During the first 17 days of December, meanwhile, they reported 
about 167,000 total. Border Patrol agents have said they are overwhelmed now as multiple sectors along the border are beyond capacity. So many migrants are at the border that the uh, Border Patrol is having to pull back staff from official ports of entry to patrol the vast spaces between, which is making the uh, border problem even worse. Well, the ACLU is suing Texas for their new immigration law. The White House and Mexico's president on Tuesday came out strongly against the law. Uh, the, the new law Texas uh, passed that would allow police to arrest migrants who illegally cross into the U.S. and empower local judges to order them to leave the country. Also on Tuesday, civil rights groups in Texas' largest uh, border um, county filed a lawsuit calling the measure that Republican Governor Greg Abbott had signed into law less than 24 hours earlier an unconstitutional reach over the U.S. government's authority on immigration. But the governor argues the U.S. government is not enforcing the laws on the border and Texas must protect its own citizens. Well, the Texas law that takes effect in March could be the test of how aggressively a state can limit immigration amid a surge in illegal crossings in remote areas that has escalated Pressure on Congress to reach a deal on asylum. A Wisconsin lawyer sued the state bar on Wednesday over a diversity clerkship program that allegedly limits eligibility to students who are minorities or who identify as LGBT. Attorney Daniel Sewer, he backed, uh, I should say, backed by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, filed a lawsuit because he objects to his bar membership dues being used to fund an unconstitutional program that selects participants based on protected traits like race. The diversity clerkship program, which is offered a paid internships to nearly 600 students, is restricted only to students with backgrounds that have been historically excluded from the legal field, according to its website. The complaint argues that using the funds of due paying state bar members uh, to provide invaluable internship experiences exclusively uh, to a subset of students is a violation of the Constitution, citing the precedent set in Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard, the landmark U.S. Supreme Court decision that held that race-based discrimination, a.k.a. affirmative action, in the college admissions process violates the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. Consequently, it is constitutionally mandated that educational and employment opportunities must be made available to all on equal terms. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour of today's program, Everything Christmas. We'll begin with a conversation with Pastor Alvin Curry. He's pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church and host of Let the Truth Set You Free, heard Sundays on KGNW in Seattle at 7.30 a.m. We'll talk about the joy, the peace, and worship of Christmas. And we'll finish out the hour talking about the story of Christmas, one planet, one star, one savior, and waiting for Jesus. That's all coming up in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, U.S. Airlines has been caught flying illegal immigrants to New York City. It's not altogether clear to me who's making these arrangements, but Delta and American Airlines are under fire for flying illegal migrants from President Joe Biden's Arizona processing centers into domestic U.S. hubs on late night flights. According to reports, Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport has become a significant hub for illegal aliens to travel around the United States. Republican commentator Ashley St. Clair said on a flight from Phoenix to New York City when she 
she noticed that her Delta Airlines flight was filled with uh, migrants who were in the country illegally. In a video posted to social media, she showed migrants lined up waiting to board her flight. Ashley uh, reported that my Delta flight from Phoenix appears to be flying migrants who cross the border and are being shipped to New York. When I asked a Delta representative if this was the case, his response was, what does it matter? They're humans, too. What's happening, she asked. Well, that wasn't the question, whether or not they were worthy, but whether or not um, the president was shipping them to other places around the country. Well, the government is in debt. Three hundred and eighty one billion dollars on the year, while the national debt nears thirty four trillion dollars. Well, the U.S. government ran a budget deficit of three hundred and eighty one billion dollars so far in the twenty twenty three fiscal year, which represents a 13 percent increase from this same time period last year. The deficit is $44 billion higher than it was at the end of November of 22, according to the latest data released by the U.S. Department of the Treasury. The national debt in January of 2020 was $17.2 trillion. By contrast, the national debt is currently $33.9 trillion. Now, it may not mean a whole lot to you now, but if you have children and grandchildren, it will mean a great deal to them and their future. The Colorado GOP may cancel its primary. Uh, when Colorado legalized marijuana back in 2012, a lot of folks shrugged and thought federalism. And while we had a uh, hunch that the societal impact of easy dope would one day be readily apparent, we know, had no idea that would strike the state's judicial branch so forcefully. Well, it's hard to explain what those four justices were thinking when they used a Civil War era amendment to kick the opposition party's standard bearer off the state presidential primary ballot. But this political charade has galvanized the state's Republican Party. Well, on Tuesday night, shortly after the Supreme Court there made their decision, the Colorado GOP said that if former President Donald Trump isn't restored to the the state's primary ballot in 2024, the party would cancel its primary altogether. We're not sure what the strategy is here, nor how it punishes anyone except Republicans, but the plan has been in the works for months. Uh, um, It'll mean that instead of filling out and depositing a primary ballot, Republican voters would go to their individual precincts caucus on the 7th of March to determine their preferred presidential candidate. It all seems unduly complicated, but that's uh, what the Supreme Court there has made necessary, the GOP argues. And we believe unnecessary. Colorado went for Joe Biden by 13 points in 2020 and is unlikely to figure in the outcome of the 2024 election. But it's a matter of principle, Republicans there say. Beyond that, the caucus will likely be rendered moot by a fast-tracked Supreme Court ruling to overturn Colorado's decision. As columnist and constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley writes, the moment has come for nine justices to speak in one voice. We'll see if they do just that. President Xi to President Biden, we will take Taiwan. It's no surprise the Chinese president is committed to the reunification of Taiwan with China. What's newsworthy, though, is that he evidently warned Joe Biden in one in no uncertain terms that last month that he intends to end Taiwan's decades long de facto independence peacefully, if possible. Weakness is provocative and Biden is thus a highly or higher, a highly, highly successful provocateur. First with the Taliban in Afghanistan, then with Vladimir Putin in Ukraine, now with Hamas in Israel and coming soon, perhaps with China across the Straits of Taiwan. As the New York Post reported, Xi told an 81 year old commander in chief that Beijing will reunify Taiwan with mainland China, but that the timing has not yet been decided peacefully, if possible, but certainly with violence, if necessary. 
An LGBT activist has uh, put pornography into the little free libraries in a blatant effort to corrupt children with deviant sexual material. The president of Northern India, uh, Indiana atheists, Troy Moss, has successfully launched a fundraising effort to build and place multiple book exchanges known as little free libraries to share banned and challenge diverse books. Moss's rationale for his campaign is a response to local religious extremists, as he put it, getting local government run libraries to put books that describe, depict and promote queer sex acts on request only shelves. As Moss states, we want the bottom shelf to be accessible to littles. The question is, for what purpose? Originally seeking $800 for his deviant book access crusade, Moss has pulled in more than $1,000 to build and place several of his book exchange boxes in neighborhoods in and around South Bend and Mishawka. A spokesperson for Little Free Libraries explained that the national organization does not police what stewards put in their Little Free Libraries, though the organization's website notes that everyone who uses the libraries has the right to help make sure the types of books in it are appropriate to neighbors of all ages and backgrounds. So parents might want to keep tabs on the books entering their neighborhood Little Free Library and remove any objectionable material, observers suggest. Well, as we take stock of the last year, we can confidently report that it's been tough for uh, diversocrats, at least on Wall Street. There, the environmental social government movement met with the reality of free market capitalism as investors clawed back more than $14 billion from their so-called sustainable funds this year. Um, Likewise, uh, we hate to see what's happening in Tennessee, where in a first-of-its-kind lawsuit, the volunteer state sued one of the leading pushers of the globalist ESG movement, BlackRock, for harming everyday Tennessee investors by way of the investment firm's radical ESG commitments. As the Federalist reports, the suit details how BlackRock, thanks to its alliances with a group of ESG entities, makes key campaigns. Key company decisions based not on what will obtain the highest profit, but on what will instead move the world closer to their view of um, net zero goals. In short, BlackRock has been misleading its investors by talking about uh, talking rather out of both sides of its mouth, the green side and the greener or green less side. The Arlington Confederate Monument removal is proceeding. Well, that didn't last long. The temporary stay ordered by the U.S. District Judge on Monday to pause the removal of the Confederate Memorial in Arlington National Cemetery has been lifted. Alston issued his temporary injunction following an objection raised by the group Defend Arlington over concerns about the potential desecration of graves. However, after touring the site on Tuesday, Alston lifted his injunction, stating, I saw no desecration of any graves. The graves Uh, The grass, rather, wasn't even disturbed. Sadly, the monument erected in 1914 for the express purpose of encouraging reconciliation is being removed for the false claim that it is divisive. But perhaps this is the time that it uh, would be removed because there is no commitment in this country, largely, to reconciliation. The U.S. has sanctioned other countries for doing what Colorado just did. And a second gay sex tape has allegedly uh, was filmed in the U.S. Capitol, and the ACLU is suing Texas over a new law authorizing the arrest and deportation of illegal migrants. An anti-gun group is being investigated after destroying weapons in a buyback program because they might have violated the universal background check law. One million fewer men attended college last year than a decade ago, and Israel has been condemned by the U.N. twice as many times as the rest of the world. Little teeny tiny Israel, twice as many times.
Well, on this day in history, 1620, pilgrims aboard the Mayflower go ashore for the first time at present-day Plymouth, Massachusetts. 1864, during the Civil War, Union forces led by Major General William Sherman They conclude their march to the sea as they capture Savannah, Georgia. 1913, the first newspaper crossword puzzle, billed as a word cross puzzle, is published in the New York world. 1937, Walt Disney's first animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, has its world premiere at the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles. 1937, the first Dr. Seuss book, and To Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street, is published by Vanguard Press. 1967, Louis Washkansky, the first human heart transplant recipient dies at a hospital in Cape Town, South Africa, 18 days after receiving the donor organ. 1968, Apollo 8 is launched on a mission to orbit the moon. 1969, Vincent Lombardi coaches his last football game as his team, the Washington Redskins, loses to the Dallas Cowboys 20 to 10. 1978, the the Liberian registered tanker Argo Merchant broke apart near Nantucket Island off Massachusetts almost a week after running aground, spilling 7.5 million gallons of oil into the North Atlantic. 1988, a terrorist bomb explodes aboard a Pan Am Boeing 747 over Lockerbie, Scotland, killing 270 people and sending records crashing to the ground. 1991, 11 of the 12 former Soviet republics proclaimed the birth of the Commonwealth of Independent States and the death of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Finally, on this day in history, the U.N. General Assembly votes overwhelmingly to denounce President Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital, largely ignoring his threat to cut off aid to any country that went against him. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news coming up at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation with Pastor Alvin Curry, pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church and host of Let the Truth Set You Free on KGNW in Seattle. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. We're so glad to have you with us. Many of us are singing the Christmas carols, Joy to the World, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him. But we may miss the central feature of Christmas, and that is Jesus Christ himself. How do we experience the joy that we sing about? Uh, how do we um, uh, come to experience the peace on earth that the word says, that the angels declared he would bring? Well, here to talk with us about that is Pastor Al. L. Curry. He's pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church. He's also host of Let the Truth Set You Free, heard on KGNW Sunday mornings at 7.30 a.m. Pastor, thank you so much for joining us. Praise the Lord. Thank you for having me, uh, my sister Georgine. I know this is a busy season for uh, those in leadership, so we uh, appreciate your time. You know, this is a season in which all of us are anticipating and hopeful for a season of joy where we'll experience a modicum of peace. Uh, and yet in our culture today, we try to manufacture those experiences and they fall short because we don't necessarily fully understand and embrace the Prince of Peace or the source of joy. Let me ask you, what is the source of joy to the world? The, the joy that we sing about in the context of the difficult times we live in at, at this Christmas season? Well, I believe the source of the joy in which we are uh, embarking upon uh, unto a few days away from us is Jesus himself. Uh, I'd like to share a scripture with you in Please. reference to that. It's Isaiah chapter 9. It's a familiar text to some. Uh, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, 
and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, the order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the source of our joy, the center of our joy, is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I think real quickly I'll share this with you because you said this is a busy time uh, and people are busy. Well, Pastor Alvin is not so much as busy because of this time and so much as that Pastor Alvin is about God's business. Hmm. Busy is being uh, about Satan's business when you get busy. Busy comes from B-U-S-Y, quick little Alvinism, Georgina, and audience. B-U-S-Y stands for being under Satan's yoke. We need to be about God's business and not miss the message of Christmas. Oh, I love that. Busyness as opposed to his business. Uh, You know, I so appreciate your making the emphasis that the source of our joy is Jesus himself. And when our focus is shifted away from him, and we're so often influenced by what we read in the headlines, what we hear in the news, what we see going on around us, that we are overwhelmed and forget that we are talking about the Lord of glory, the Savior of the world, the one who spoke into existence the world that that we live in, that he holds our future in his hands. So if we're distracted, we're going to miss out on what he intends for us, not just in this season, but throughout the seasons. I totally agree with you. And uh, that's why I believe we should not miss this purpose for the day that we have set aside to acknowledge his birth, Uh, because we don't know the day, the specific day Mm -hmm. that he was born. But I, like a countless others, am taking December 25th as a day to set aside of the birth of a savior. And I'm not going to be distracted by the gifts when uh, the gift that was given was the best gift that could ever be given. And that was the gift of the father giving his son. Absolutely. That ancient promise being fulfilled. When we look through scripture and we read uh, the various accounts in which God himself revealed, this is what is going, this is what the Messiah will look like. This is what the Messiah will do. This is where he'll be born, when he'll be born, what you can anticipate. And somehow the world that the the Jewish people at that time uh, missed it because they expected something else. And I think for us, we're in the same sort of position. We often miss what God has in mind because we're looking for something else. Uh, We're blinded by uh, distraction, and and God calls us to be focused in on what he's saying and what he's doing. Amen. I I so, so, so agree. And I don't know how my brothers and sisters, uh, God's creation of the Jewish people, miss it when it's right there before them. They cater to the Old Testament, and it's right there in the book of Isaiah. If they were to read Isaiah chapter 53, I think they would see the Messiah that they were waiting for. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are so many specific details, and it's exciting to go back from our vantage point in uh, modern history to read through those scriptures and see, yes, you can check all these boxes that fulfill precisely what God was saying. And yet they, like us in our generation, are so easily distracted or we have expectations that are inconsistent with what God has said. And I think I think it's because we have gotten caught up in what I would uh, term culture culture, excuse me, culture Christian. Mm. And what I mean by that is we've gotten into the mistletoe with the, uh, you know, the, the gifts again, you know, of, of buying gifts, the, the distraction of going and getting gifts and worrying about whether you got the right gift or not. When 
if you could just give the gift of Jesus. Uh, and I pray that that's what we're doing now. We're helping people to see, not to get distracted, not to get caught up in culture, Christian, the mistletoes and, and the trees. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with those things in themselves. I'm just saying if we allow the tree to be the center, if we allow the lights to be the center, uh, when we should allow the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light, that would be Jesus again. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be disappointed. There's no question that our yes. neighbors who don't know him, who will go through the Christmas season, they'll have a good time, they'll enjoy some family, but there's going to be a disappointment because our heart longs for more. Uh, how can yes. we as believers seize upon this opportunity to share what we know to be true about Christmas and to be true about God's plan for all of humanity and that thing that separates us from him? I believe that what we can do as believers is allow the Holy Spirit that God has entrusted in us to allow his light to shine in us and not let it be so much as I, Pastor Alvin, try to do something. So much as I allow the spirit that God has entrusted in me to do something as well as for yourself and other believers, as you're asking, what can we believers do? Well, what we believers can do is allow the Holy Spirit to have full reign. He's invited We've invited the Holy Spirit into our lives when we received him as Lord and Savior of our lives. And so now that he has taken up residence, we ought to allow him to be the president and allow him to be that light that goes forth. As the scripture says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Yeah, there's no Christmas vacation for the holidays. <laughs> there's no um, <laughs> no time off. You know, I, yeah, I'm a believer and I'm just going to take some time off. This is... is uh, great opportunity for us because people are more open during this season. They're thinking about joy. They're seeking peace. They want to experience the things that the angels declared, but don't know where to find it. And again, we try to find those things in the traditions that dominate our culture at this time. Um, But Jesus alone can fulfill what God intended for him to fulfill in the heart of the believer when we are reconciled to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and I think this is uh, uh, a most marvelous evangelistic tool yes. for the door to be open for us to share that joy that we have, for us to share that peace that we have, for us to share that hope, so hope that we have and not a no so hope. Yeah. And that is well, if we're that, not so distracted that we have forgotten, <laughs> you know, that we're so busy, amen. we've got a, a frown on our face because we are looking for that item that we need in order to make the perfect holiday season. We need to be <laughs> mindful of who it is that we're yeah. focusing on and what he wants to do in and through us, even in this season. Yes, 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 yes. And because we'll always be empty. We'll always come up empty. You'll get that new car. Somebody's getting a new car for Christmas. And that car, that old car smell, that new car smell will go away. Uh, those <laughs> gifts will leave us empty. But the gift of Jesus is a gift that just keeps on giving. And if you really, truly like gifts, like I like gifts, I want a gift that would continue to give. Yes. That I could continue to grow and mature and uh, come to enjoy. I, I get a new car for Christmas after a while. Oh, yeah, it's just a car. But I get Jesus for Christmas, and Jesus just keeps on giving and giving and giving because you can't outgive the gift. 
of Jesus. Amen. We're going to continue our conversation uh, with Pastor Curry from Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church. He's also host of Let the Truth Set You Free, heard on KGNW in Seattle on Sunday mornings. But we do need to take a quick break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we're going to talk a little bit about worship at the Savior's birth. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm so delighted to uh, be in conversation with Pastor Alvin L. Curry, pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church and host of Let the Truth Set You Free, heard Sunday mornings at 7.30 a.m. on KGNW in Seattle. We're talking about this Christmas season and how it's so easy for us to become distracted and miss the main thing, which is Jesus uh, in the manger, but uh, the beginning of a ministry that would ultimately result in our salvation. Now, what can we learn from the worship at the Savior's birth? There were angels and shepherds and magi. We sing the song, Oh, come, let us adore him. What's an appropriate response to the events that we see unfold in Scripture at the Savior's birth that are followed by the perfect sinless life that led to his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his uh, place now seated at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us? What's an appropriate response? I believe the most appropriate excuse me, I believe the most appropriate response to that is that of what I've heard you say, and I'll add to that as you got the you got uh, Elizabeth, you have the wise men, you have the shepherds, yes. you have Zachariah, you have all of these people, and when they encountered Jesus, they immediately worship when I look into the scriptures. So I believe that we need to worship him and not so much as the stuff. We ought to let Jesus be our worship. And worship isn't just when you go to church on Sunday and you sing a few songs. Yeah, that's a, that's one of worship. But worship is living Christ. I think that's how we should worship him and honor him for his stepping out of time eternity into time present. Amen. You know, I so often think about worship of Christ. You're right. It's not reduced to a single event that takes place at the no. start of every week when you're in a congregation. But one of the the most powerful acts of worship is a life of obedience and surrender. Yes. And, you know, in the yes. 21st century, it's it's tough for us. Those are not words that are popular today. Obedience and surrender yes. uh, to see yes. ourselves as bond servants of Christ, where he is the head. Hallelujah. And that's so contrary yes. to what's uh, what our popular culture tells us. And yet that's what Christ calls us to equips us to do successfully and that, that we are to live for. Amen. I so, so, so agree. And uh, you use two words that are an acronym of mine that spells crops. Two of the words you used was obedience and surrender. But crops, C-R-O-P-S, that stands for commitment, responsibility, obedience, priority, and surrender. So I believe that my worship, I believe that our worship of Christ should be the commitment that we made when we received him as Lord and Savior, be the responsible servants and stewards that he's called us to be by being obedient to his word and allowing him to prioritize our lives by our continuously, persistently, and constantly staying submitted, surrendered unto him. That's worship. Absolutely. And it may sound overwhelming to hear that because of our our, our frailty. We are free from the power of sin, but we have been given the Holy Spirit to enable us to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Apart from him, we'll just stumble around. But we've even been given the capacity to live an obedient and surrendered life. God has given us everything we need pertaining to um, to uh, uh, godliness and to honor him. Yes. 
Yes. And what a gift that he's given us in giving us the Holy Spirit to be able to do just that, to live a Christ-like life. Uh, that's what I love about Christmas, too. Christmas, uh, Christ, more Christ. And uh, the way I can have more Christ, uh, my sister Georgine, is just simply allowing the Holy Spirit to increase in me and I just decrease. Yeah, yeah. I, I just love the scriptures that are always reminding us of our inability to meet the standard that God has set, but his provision that gives us the ability to do that. Um, when I yes. when I fall short, he has given me the capacity, even the desire to honor him. He will give that to me. So we're really yes. without excuse. If we are focusing as we rightly should, if we're focusing Amen. on him and acting out of gratitude, if we fully understand what salvation uh, means for us, then we ought to joyfully and out of gratitude respond in a way that reflects um, obedience and surrender. Amen. Amen. And amen to that. Yes. I believe that that's what the reason for the season is, is for us to see the gift of salvation, for us to go ahead and submit and yield and surrender. I have no problem bowing down and allowing him to be God. I remember there was a time when I wasn't saved, as uh, everybody isn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're all born into sin. We're all born with that self-indulging nature. But once you receive Christ, how can you not want to worship? How can you not want to praise and lift him up. I mean, when you look throughout the scriptures, uh, you see that everybody and anybody who had an encounter with Christ and received him as Lord and Savior of their life, they had a life-transforming experience. And I believe that if people would see the reason for this season being Jesus, they'll have a life-transforming experience when they uh, come to celebrate the birth of the Savior, the Lord. Amen. I know some of our listeners may be looking for a place to worship uh, this weekend as Christmas is approaching. Uh, You're in the Seattle, excuse me, in the Seattle area at Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church. What do you all have available for those who are looking for a place to worship? Well, if, if anyone's looking for a place to worship this Sunday, we welcome you to come. However, we're going to be at Beverly Park Baptist Church, which mm-hmm. is right down the road from our church, the Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church. And it's going to be an awesome time because we're going to have five different churches meeting at one time. And uh, yours truly, all honor, glory, and praise be to God, will be delivering the message. And I'll give you a hint as to what the message is going to be about. It's going to be about heaven's gift. So those of you who are listening and want to have a blessed time of worshiping and praising and giving God the honor and glory that he so rightly deserves, the door is open for you to come and fellowship with us in the Beverly Park Baptist Church. Well, we appreciate that invitation. I might just get in my car and drive up to the Seattle area. (laughs) (laughs) Join me, Pastor. (laughs) Um, Before I let you go, can you tell us a little bit about your program, Let the Truth Set You Free, um, heard on Sundays at KGNW? Yeah, real quickly, and thanks for asking. It's uh, God put that on my heart, Let the Truth Set You Free, because the Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church is a Bible-believing, a Bible-preaching, a Bible-witnessing, and a Bible-ministering church. It's just about talking the truth, walking the truth. And uh, I just go through the book. Uh, right now, I'm going through the book of Romans, and I'm going verse by verse. Uh, I just did uh, Revelations. But that's what that ministry is about, just spreading the truth uh, of God's Word, representing what God has already presented. Mm. Oh, I that's, love that. That's the truth. Line by line, precept by precept, because God's word can can stand on its own. We don't need to add and subtract and twist. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, Pastor, you and I have not met face to face. I look forward to doing that someday. Um, But we are family in the body of Christ. And I thank you so much for your faithful service in the community God has planted you and for taking the time to minister to us here today. Thank you so much. No, thank you, my sister, and God bless you and your ministry and those that uh, assist you in doing the ministry in which you do. Thank you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) God bless. Bye-bye. Again, Pastor Alvin Curry is pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church and host of Let the Truth Set You Free. Heard on our sister station in the Seattle area, KGNW, Sunday mornings at 7.30 a.m. You could probably pick that up online if you want to check him out uh, here in the Portland area. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to talk a bit about the story of Christmas. One planet, one star, one savior, waiting for Jesus, lessons from Simeon and Anna, and the hand of providence, that and more, coming up on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Portland-only portion of The Georgine Rice Show. Dan Delzell, a Christian Post contributor, wrote an article recently, well, actually it was a while ago, One Planet, One Star, One Savior, that reminds us of the extraordinary events that took place on that Christmas morning when a Savior was born, the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate. There are eight planets in our solar system, and NASA estimates that there are at least 100 billion planets in our Milky Way galaxy. God decided to make Earth habitable and to create man to live on this particular planet. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1 tells us. Why is earth singled out in the first verse of the Bible? Why is it the this one planet so much more important to God than all the other planets in the universe? Theoretical physicist Paul Davies said, scientists are slowly waking up to an inconvenient truth. The universe looks suspiciously like a fix. The issue concerns the very laws of nature themselves. Change any one of them and the consequences would be lethal. Fred Hoyle, the distinguished cosmologist, once said it was as if a super intelligent had has monkeyed with physics. Frank Tipler is an American mathematician. He's a physicist and cosmologist and the author of The Physicists of Christianity or The Physics. Tipler said, when I began my career as a cosmologist some 20 years ago, I was a convinced atheist. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that one day I would be writing a book purporting to show that the central claims of the Judeo-Christian theology are in fact true, that these claims are straightforward deductions of the laws of physics as we now understand them. I have been forced into these conclusions by the inexorable logic of my own special branch of physics, end quote. James Jolie, propounder of the first law of thermodynamics, was a devout Christian. Jolie said, it is evident that an acquaintance with natural law means no less than an acquaintance with the mind of God therein expressed. In addition to one planet, God used one star in his divine drama to point the way to the Messiah. This is an extraordinary event by all accounts. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The star that had uh, they had seen in the east uh, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him in Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, and again in 9 and 11. With billions of stars in the Milky Way, God selected one of these stars or some other heavenly body or extraordinary stellar event to guide the Magi to the exact location of the Savior's birth. 
Dr. D. James Kennedy, the late Dr. Kennedy, said the star of Bethlehem was a star of hope that led the wise men to the fulfillment of their expectations, the success of their expedition. Nothing in this world is more uh, fundamental for success in life than hope. And this star pointed to our only source for true hope, Jesus the Christ. The most important piece of the equation is not one planet, one star, but one Savior. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. The incarnation involved God taking on human nature in order to ultimately be sacrificed on the cross for sinful man. Bethlehem and Golgotha, the manger and the cross, the birth and the death must always be seen together. J. Sidlow Baxter. The Apostle Paul proclaimed salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts 4, 12. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. One planet, one star, one Savior. George Truett said Christ was born in the first century, yet he belongs to all centuries. He was born a Jew, yet he belongs to all races. He was born in Bethlehem, yet he belongs to all countries. Do you marvel at the splendor of the universe while failing to see the glory of the babe born in Bethlehem? Nature confirms that there is a God, but you will need to know the Savior if you desire to be reconciled to God. John 8, verses 19 10, 14, and 14, 7. Robert Bayer said, Bethlehem was God with us. Calvary was God for us. And Pentecost is God in us. Everything is lined up for you to believe in Christ as your Savior. God arranged one planet, one star, and one Savior so that you could enjoy an eternal relationship with your Creator. And like the wise men, you will approach Bethlehem with humility, or will you? Will you bow down in repentance and worship the King as you receive Christ by faith? If you refuse to open God's gift to you this Christmas, you may never again be presented with this opportunity. Like a shooting star in the sky, this window in time to meet the Messiah will come and go. Spiritual blindness and the curse of sin cause people to reject God's free gift of forgiveness and perfection in paradise. Why not break the spell today as you reach out to God with these words from your heart? God of heaven and earth, your majesty wonders are far above my capacity to fully appreciate them. I believe you came here, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins and then rise on the third day. Wash away my sins. I desire to follow you as my Lord and Savior. You are the only one who can save me. Forgive me, lead me, and fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to live as your disciple. Amen. And the words of the marvelous Christian hymn, O come, all ye faithful. Joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye, to Bethlehem. As we near the close of Advent, there were some elderly heroes who waited decades for consolation, for the consummation of their hope and dream. And they have something to teach us. Perhaps as a woman who is aging, I can appreciate them more now than I ever did before. Jeff Peabody, writing in 2021, pointed out that there was a recent New York Times article written by Jeremy Green of John Hopkins John Hopkins University, and it outlined the psychic impact of the past two tumultuous years of society. He said, what we are living through now is a new cycle of collective dismay. And doesn't that apply even now? Collective dismay. There is a universal ache for an end to our current distress. 
Romans 8.22, the cry, how long, O Lord, resonates as we navigate a second pandemic-shaped advent. Feeling chronically on hold has led me back to the biblical theme of consolation, comfort in the wake of loss or disappointment. And the birth narrative about Jesus, we meet Simeon and Anna, who are also waiting for consolation. They have much to speak into our context. Two things stand out. You can find them in Luke, the second chapter, stand out about these two characters. First, they were both stellar people. Scripture describes Simeon as being righteous and devout. Luke assigns Anna a place among the prophets, which simply means, as Dan Darling put it, she was gifted and unafraid to declare the word of the Lord. A second, more mundane observation is that they were both very old. Simeon knew he was near the end of his time on earth. Anna was 84, well beyond the era's average life expectancy. And while their age might seem incidental, in truth, it highlights the limits of their stellarness. Despite being above reproach and worthy of admiration, they could not lengthen their own days. Both were aware that of their frailty and their inability to change it. In other words, they were reaching the end of themselves, which is precisely when Christ shows up. Grace often appears when we have no resources of our own to meet the need. A global crisis has a way of highlighting human limits and lack of control. Over the past several years, uh, we have been exhausted, attempted to figure out and to strategize a way forward, all of to minimal effect. Accepting the powerlessness of the moment has made more room to see God and his hand in the affairs of men. Luke introduces Simeon with a word that is normally translated as waiting. But it could also render, be rendered as ready to receive to oneself. The term expresses an eagerness to welcome. That emphasis transforms the concept of waiting from excruciating endurance to active anticipation. Simeon counted the days until God revealed what he had promised to him personally. He believed. As Simeon gazed into the brand new eyes of the ancient of days, Christ for him went from being God with us to God with me. Similarly, Anna had planted herself in God's presence for decades, turning the grief of a young widow into a lifelong prayer. Waiting on the Lord became her daily practice. Anne Voskamp once wrote, This waiting on God is the very real work of the people of God. Waiting often feels like impatience and irritation, gritting our teeth, trying to hold on until uh, we move past whatever our current trial looks like. We want to get through What would it look like to shift into a mindset where we are ready to receive more? Simeon's own name provides a a clue how to go about that waiting, because it comes from a word that means to hear intelligently. Simeon, he's portrayed as deliberately listening to God's spirit. We're told that the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit showed things to him and the Holy Spirit moved him. Intelligent listening meant that Simeon discerned the difference between his own impulses and the leading of God. It meant being willing to take in difficult messages and not just uh, uh, what he wanted to hear. And it meant stepping out in obedience, acting on what he heard. He was a believer. We'll continue taking a look at Simeon and Anna when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. The outcome of Simeon's listening, his intelligent listening, is one of the most tender scenes in Scripture. Simeon enters the temple to discover Mary and Joseph with their newborn. Then he picks up baby Jesus. He has the distinction of being the only person in the Bible 
who we are explicitly told held Christ, the Christ child, in his arms. In that act, he provided a striking visual of not just meeting Jesus, but receiving him unto himself. And as Simeon gazed into the brand new eyes of the ancient of days, Christ for him went from being God with us to God with me. Comfort has no real meaning until general truth takes on concrete personal dimensions. He embraced Jesus and held him to himself. Nothing outwardly about Simeon's life had changed, yet he told God that he could die in peace. His inner disquiet had been calmed by Christ, and his soul was at rest. Simeon knew the consolation of Israel was not an event or a change, but a person. Anna responded to Jesus much the same way as Simeon. Her sheer, or rather his sheer existence, was the only evidence she needed to recognize God's redemptive hand. Christ, a baby who couldn't even talk, became the focal point of her praise. We pen our hopes on answers more than on the one who answers. We can pray with very specific, singular responses in mind, then we'll accept from God as adequate. When he doesn't respond according to our narrow guidelines, we despair. Meanwhile, Christ arrives in our distress as wordlessly as a baby bundled in a form we didn't see coming. We're learning how to be present in the smallness of things, ready to receive and to trust that God is at work, to know that we can embrace him. Well, there have been days in my life when I've felt detached from God. And in those times, I also struggle with questions about meaning and purpose. What I have learned and at considerable personal cost about being disconnected from God is that this division is always the result of my looking to the world for purpose rather than our creator. Inevitably, after some consternation, I awaken to the reality that our cultural compass, uh, plural compasses are perpetually disorienting. Contemporary culture relentlessly encourages us, even seduces us to irrevocably link our identity to its trappings. What we do what we have, who we've been with, and the like. But all of these connections are temporal. In the end, if we take our bearings from the cultural around us, we are destined to experience emptiness, which is then offers um, uh, the, the eternal things, offers to fill with various eternal things rather than the distractions and forms of seduction and sedation that we find in the culture. I have learned we must look up before we look out. That we must look to God in order to understand his purpose for us in the world. And indeed, if we defined our purpose in cultural terms or worse, if we try to understand him through the world's lens, we're destined to remain astray. I'm reminded of these words written by Reverend James Allen Francis almost a hundred years ago, summarizing the profound impact of the life of Jesus Christ. And I leave you with these words. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village as the child of a peasant woman He grew up in another obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30 and then for three years was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to do with the world except the naked power of his divine manhood. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. Another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon the cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for his only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. 
19 uh, wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is the center of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as has this one solitary life. And even more, it's even more true now, a century later. And as the Holy Bible records, the life of Jesus began on the day we celebrate. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And there was there were shepherds living in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had seen and what had been told to them about this child. And all those who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and had seen which were just as they had been told. Well, during this Christmas season and every day of the coming year, may God's peace and blessings be upon you and all those who are around you. We are celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in closing, the supremacy of the Lord Jesus, perhaps remembering what the scripture has to say about the one we worship. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, Things in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation. Might I pause there for just a moment? Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. 
God the Son, presenting you holy to God the Father without blemish and free from accusation. This is freedom indeed. Continuing with verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Well, it goes on from there to describe Paul's ministry to the church and his faithfulness in following God's call and purpose in his life. I hope you are encouraged and that you will not miss the chief uh, goal in worshiping Jesus this Christmas season because he has come and he fulfilled his purpose and we can be reconciled to God through him. Well, this will be my last live broadcast of 2023. Uh, Tomorrow you can enjoy the Hope College Vespers and the best of the Georgine Rice show the following week as I'll be taking that as a vacation and I'll be back the first Tuesday following the new year. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. May you walk in the full purpose that God has assigned to you and find joy and peace in this season. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.